It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along, it seems so strange having a day off in the middle of the week. I woke up this morning and I felt like it was Monday and I came into work thinking it was Monday. But it is, of course, uh, Thursday and we hope that you all had a peaceful and a happy St. Patrick's Day. And certainly the weather was uh, rather nice. We mightn't have got the the sun splitting the rocks in all areas yesterday even though some parts of the country seem to have gorgeous sunny spells with lovely clear blue skies other areas though a bit overcast but it was mild and it was dry and that I think was the main thing and according to Met Aram the temperatures were 2 to 3 degrees above average for yesterday and it struck me because it was such a mild day yesterday and usually on the 17th of March we can have given force winds and we can have absolutely freezing conditions. I remember snow on one St. Patrick's Day. It would have been probably around the early 80s and the only reason I remember it was my sister had got a video camera. Do you remember the video cameras? They were all the thing back in this kind of the late 70s, early 80s and she recorded scenes on St. Patrick's Day of waking up to a blanket of snow so we can get all kinds of weather. So certainly yesterday was a was what, what would have been lovely weather for a parade because it would have been great for the people participating in the parade but it also would have been great for those that went along to watch the parade but of course it wasn't to be a yesterday but there were some fantastic virtual parades you may have seen some of them online they were also featured on some of the TV news bulletins yesterday everything from dogs to Lego and toys and the children in particular really got involved with the virtual parades and they were all uploaded online and obviously there was an abundance of Irish music and Irish singing and Irish dance and you could sense the crack was still being had around the country. It might have been a different St. Patrick's Day, but certainly people seemed to have been enjoying it. And certainly the eyes of the world, once again, as it always is on St. Patrick's Day. And even this year, during a pandemic, it was upon us. And there was wonderful messages of support from world leaders. Seemingly it was the Department of Foreign Affairs and their embassy network around the world They worked with friends of Ireland from across the globe and they compiled a video of greetings. And there were some very impressive 
figures. Some of the real, as one of the newspapers said, one of the some of the big heavy hitting lineup, uh, the Duke and Duchess of uh, Cambridge. I say I have to had to be impressed with um, uh, Prince William, who did his little bit Osquelga. Kate followed up with it in in English, and then he joked at the end, "How come you got the easy bit?" But it was lovely to see them in both sporting bright shades of green. The Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau featured the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison sent a greeting, as did the Norwegian Prime Minister, the Japanese Imperial Highness and of course President Joe Biden very much featured uh, yesterday and he particularly featured with the Taoiseach meeting with uh, Joe Biden and they had a virtual summit between Washington and Dublin yesterday and everything from Brexit to protecting the Good Friday agree- agreement to COVID-19 all up for discussion yesterday and I know in the lead up to St Patrick's Day and certainly I think it probably kicked off around January when there was a suggestion that Michal Martin might travel to the States and there was uproar over it with people saying no we're living under level 5 restrictions no one particularly our leaders of this country should be leading, leaving the country. So the decision w- was made that the meeting would still go go ahead, but they'd have it virtually instead. And it seems the Taoiseach and Joe Biden spoke for an hour and 20 minutes, which is much longer than would normally happen if our Taoiseach travelled to the White House to hand over the bowl of shamrock and then they go in and they have a little private meeting. It never lasts for one hour and 20 minutes. So there was an advantage over doing it uh, virtually. The leaders discussed um, investment and US immigration reform and obviously there was other global issues um, spoke about as well. The Taoiseach Michael Martin said afterwards that his online meeting with Joe Biden had been warm. It had been upbeat and he did admit that it had been lengthy. He said Joe Biden's wish to come to Ireland and he said Joe Biden himself said his family will not forgive him if he doesn't get to Ireland at some stage while he is president and he's eagerly looking forward to arriving here so I think once we once all of these restrictions are lifted and travel is once again something that we can all do I think that's probably going to be one of the first official visits we're going to see in this country is certainly going to be from uh, Joe Biden and then and it was terrific to see the Irish dance sensation Corda a feature and a lot of the papers actually are picking up on them this morning they are certainly uh, they were flying the flag very proudly around the world and they did it yesterday on St Patrick's Day they've been doing it for the last year through their Irish dancing particularly on TikTok but yesterday they very proudly uh, were representing Ireland all over the world and of course we had been speaking with Seamus Morrison on Tuesday on the programme Seamus Morrison is part of Corda he's the I think he's the only Cork did he tell us that he's the I know he's, he's from Formoy but he's living in this TikTok house now up in County Clare but the rest of the members are he's the only one from uh, Cork and, and he was talking about the fact that they were, we were speaking with him on Tuesday because he was going to be Corda were going to fe- feature doing Irish dancing on Good Morning America on ABC in the States and he had said on Tuesday they were going to have another announcement on Tuesday afternoon and I now realise what that other announcement was. They also appeared on ITV's This Morning and I actually saw them. They were speaking with uh, Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby on This Morning on ITV and they were talking about that their goal has always been to modernise Irish dancing and to bring it to a whole new level and certainly if you've seen any of 
their videos online. That's exactly what they are uh, doing. And speaking with Philip and Holly, similar to what Seamus said to us, their long term plan when we come out of the pandemic is to take their Irish dancing on stage when the opportunity arrives and they'll have their own live show. And I think they these young Irish dancers, members of Carda, are going to be hugely, hugely successful. So it was great to see them. I still haven't. I don't know if anybody has seen the American one, the one on Good Morning America. I know Seamus told us that they were hoping to put it up on their social media site, certainly up to yesterday. When I checked yesterday evening, they still didn't have it up on their own uh, TikTok or Instagram uh, page. So I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the one on ITV, the piece on ITV. They ran for about five minutes between chatting and uh, dancing, but I haven't seen the Good Morning America one and I'm particularly interested in seeing that. So if anybody notices going up on any social media site, will you give us the nod, please, so that we can go and take a look at it. And this is in from Michael on St. Patrick's Day. Hi, uh, Patricia. Yesterday, we the people of this great little island of our of ours held the attention of the whole world in our hands. We were the light in everybody's eye across this universe on a sad occasion which we could only honour St. Patrick in a restricted traditional way and thank him for clearing the snakes out of Ireland. Sadly a few of them appeared in the form of minor protests but they too must and will be cleared says Michael. They are and I'm not using that language Michael sorry but they're Michael feels that the protesters who were out yesterday are not uh, welcome here. We would like to thank all those involved in yesterday's participation in St. Patrick's Day, a day of celebrations, honouring Ireland's patron saint with celebrations at home and around the world uh, with greatest of solidarity that was shown, particularly what we can do when we all work together. Thanks to our government for a masterclass performance as world leaders wished us all a very happy St. Patrick's Day for all the very hard work that they've put in to make making it all happen in such extreme circumstances to our broadcasters on TV and on radio. The participants who entertained us and the world to all of our frontline workers, especially those who gave up their time yesterday and looked after all of those in need. We say a great big Thank you. That's really nice. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Uh, WhatsApping 0862 103 103. So hopefully each and every one of you had a lovely St. Patrick's Day uh, yesterday. John Paul is taking your calls this morning at 1850 333 103. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blues In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy Won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel Saw the ghost of Elvis On Union Avenue Followed him up to the gates of Graceland And I watched him walk right through Now security, they did not see him They just hovered around his tomb But there's a pretty little thing Waiting for the king Down in the jungle room When I was walking 
off a beer Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel They've got catfish on the table They've got gospel in the air River and green Be glad to see you When you haven't got a prayer But boy, you got a prayer in Memphis Every Friday at the Hollywood And they brought me down to see her And they asked me if I would Do a little number And I sang with all my might She said, tell me are you a Christian child? And I said, ma'am I am tonight That's the wonderful sound of Mark Cohen on C103 and that is Walking in uh, Memphis. Uh, Mary C in Cork says, Morning Patricia, my Welsh friends took great joy when telling me that St. Patrick was in fact uh, Welsh. Yeah, but he's our patron saint. So we'll always we'll always claim St. Patrick as one of our own. And thank you to another Mary who sent me on a WhatsApp. I'll take a look at it afterwards on goodmorningamerica.com. Uh, the Corda, uh, they have it down as Irish set dancing group Corda celebrates uh, St. Patrick's Day on Good Morning America. Thank you for that. So it's on the goodmorningamerica.com uh, page. And then someone else was on to say, Patricia, there's a dead otter by the fence in on Ona Hinsha seafront and he's been there for over a week. This sister said, I think it's terrible and surely with health and safety and all that. Now, I don't know who is. Is that a council responsibility? I don't know who's responsible when there's a, a dead animal like that, a dead otter by the fence on Onahincha. And I'm assuming that was a busy spot. Hopefully with just local people within their 5K would have been down in Onahincha yesterday. We'll see if we can find out who's responsible for removing that poor, a dead animal. And talking of waiting for a response, you may have heard 
A listener contacted Ken this morning on the breakfast show, very frustrated because stuck in traffic down by the spa area coming on to the bridge area of Mallow and the lights appear to be out of sync uh, there and they were asking if we could get on to the council and we we have made contact with uh, the council and they're getting back to us on the matter about the sequencing of lights. So hang in, hang in on that one and we'll see if we can find out if we can point somebody in the direction of that otter in uh, Onahinsha Seafront. Thank you to the listener for sending that on to us. And John and Bantry was on to say, uh, Patricia, beautiful sunny day in Kilkill uh, this morning. Well, I'm looking out at a very overcast, cloudy sky, John, so enjoy the sunshine in Kale Kill uh, this morning. And Jack and Skibbereen, when I mentioned the conversation that went on between the Taoiseach and the US President Joe Biden on this virtual summit that was held between Washington and Dublin yesterday and everything was discussed from Brexit to protecting the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, they discussed uh, investment, US immigration, they discussed global issues and obviously and of course they discussed uh, COVID-19. Uh, Jack said what everybody wanted yesterday was Joe Biden to give extra vaccines to Ireland please. That is what we need now. We've heard so much about the Good Friday Agreement. We're all well aware of it, but it's vaccines is what we needed. Now, I know Micheál Martin said afterwards that they spent quite a lot of time talking about COVID-19 and Joe Biden in particular was talking about the vaccination programme and the rollout of the vaccination programme in uh, the States and Micheál Martin said that Joe Biden went through it in quite some detail the efforts he's made as president in terms of pulling off the vaccine rollout logistically in uh, the States so I took from the conversation that every vaccine that they have they're keeping for themselves but I think the issue with America is the AstraZeneca they're not using the AstraZeneca vaccine yet it hasn't been given approval in the States yet and they have stockpiled quite an amount of that vaccine and I know AstraZeneca actually contacted the US to say well, if you're not using it at the moment, could we take it back and use it to send it across the EU and then when you're ready to use it, we'll replace the stocks. But they didn't get anywhere uh, with that one. And of course, we're all waiting from the European Medicines Agency Safety Committee. Uh, they're expected to conclude their safety review of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine today and issue a recommendation on whether countries will be able to continue the use of the jab or not. But that particular announcement is not expected until uh, this afternoon. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A Limwick hairdresser has offered free haircuts for clients he deems essential, despite level 5 restrictions, which of course have seen hairdressers and barbers closed since Christmas. Nal Colgan says he's willing to go to jail if it means he can cut some people's hair. And Nal Colgan joins me to explain more. Now he was there and now he is uh, gone. OK, uh, we'll organise getting Niall back on the uh, programme uh, because actually we raised the issue of hairdressers on Tuesday, I'm sure, on the programme. We had a number of people saying from a mental health point of view, hairdressers should be allowed to reopen. There are some people who get a huge boost when they get their hair done. And actually Anne was on to us to say, I work in a supermarket and during the first lockdown, we had a lot of customers who hair-wise were ageing gracefully, i.e. they were going grey and in dire need of a good haircut. But this time round, things are totally different. I regularly see what I can only describe as freshly done hairdos, i.e. colours, 
along with full wash, cut and blow dries. So people need to cop on so that we can all enjoy similar luxuries. Suzanne, who reckons that there is an amount of hairdressing going on, but it is going on on the black market and there's more of it going on this time than certainly happened the last time. Now, Niall Colgan, fingers crossed, should be at the end of this phone line. Uh, Good morning to you, Niall. Good morning, Patricia. Sorry about that. You're okay. You're okay. You're very welcome. I was outlining that you are willing to even go to jail if it means that you can cut some of your clients' hair. Now, you don't want to open your salon and just let it be a free-for-all. You have a very particular group of clients that you want to help out. Just explain what you're talking about here. Okay. So, isn't it funny that it took a careless use of language for this situation to be highlighted in the media. I did say in my vlog the other night, uh, arrest me, jail me, I don't care. Because I suppose I'm frustrated, um, Patricia, with the fact that it's a year down the line and there hasn't been any bend in the industry when it comes to people with uh, with, with essential needs when it comes to haircuts. Uh, people with um, alopecia, people who are post-chemotherapy, up to five years post-chemotherapy, and people who have trichotillomania, which is a condition which makes you pull your hair out. So these things need to be looked at. And this is what I meant when I said, like, when the vaccine was announced that it was put on hold uh, uh, for for, uh, an undisclosed period of time, and then the... uh, there was nobody coming out to say when they thought we'd be back. I know just how difficult those clients are finding this uh, and uh, they need our services at this moment in time. And have some of these clients been contacting you? That's right, they have. Uh, not necessarily with uh, uh, Niall, get in there and cut my hair and open the salon, but they've been contacting me with uh, I suppose photographs of themselves and just saying um, I'm I'm at my wit's end. I'm oh. you know like on top of everything else. My my hair is just making this this uh, this lockdown um, completely and utterly unbearable. And I, I know the difference a haircut would make to their lives. You know. And what reaction have you got today since since you've gone public on it? Well, first of all, Patricia, I didn't realise I was going public, uh, but the reaction has been overwhelmingly brilliant. Now, the headlines initially, uh, jail me, I don't care, you know, all this. I've got a son with special needs. He has autism. I understand the autism community are, uh, find it very difficult that they can't get to the hair salon as well because it takes up years. It takes years to build up your routine with your hairdresser, with ASD, your, you know, where you're going, everything like that. But um, at the end of the day, uh, the reaction that has been just overwhelmingly positive and in fairness to the media and the reporters once they spoke to me after the initial story broke which was quite brash and quite bold uh, they rewrote it and they were were really sympathetic to the people that 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 essentially need their haircut. I mean, they essentially need their haircut. Yeah, that's why I was at pains to point out. It's not that you're saying, yeah. I'm breaking lockdown rules, come on, come all, I'm, I'm going to do your hairs. You have a very totally, specific group of people who need your help. Absolutely. I am totally pro-lockdown. In actual fact, we were, we were the first salon in the country to design and make screens that, that, that for our salon in lockdown number one. We were, we, we were one of the first salons to close uh, uh, before lockdown number one. We, we kind of led the charge.
charge when we came back after lockdown number one and lockdown number two we we doubled our appointment times we uh, worked 12 hours a day seven days a week so that our clients wouldn't feel as though they were in a salon that was taking risks with too many people in it we are pro lockdown we're pro government we're pro all of the guidelines in actual fact uh, my son said to me uh, the other day he said and, and he's only he's only eight he says go away dad you haven't even been to tesco <laughs> do you know <laughs> so, <laughs> so i know i know and have you done any clients here yet no uh, i have done one have you yeah. Well done. I, I I actually think well done. I I, I really yeah. do. I I the don't think you're bre- you're breaching, but the, the letter of the law you are. Can. Yeah. Can I highlight something? Yeah. I would probably be slower to do the clients right. Uh, I listen to them. I talk to them. I give them my advice and everything like that. But I probably would have been slightly slower to actually cut their hair if they hadn't been offered haircuts on the shadow economy. Now you see that's going. That's the next topic I was going to yeah. get you on because okay. when when so, I, we've already had a listener come on who works in a supermarket who was saying that yeah. during the first lockdown the one thing she noticed was a lot of the customers were aging gracefully, going grey in dire need of a haircut. She said it's very different this time round. She's different. seeing people with their hairs very obviously done professionally. Very different. Uh, like uh, like this time around, everybody's doing hair. Uh, like like staff are just doing hair. There's no question about it. And uh, you know what can we do about this? Like there's there's actually I don't think there's anything that can be done. You know the suppliers are still supplying color. The suppliers are still supplying the products to the black market. Oh, I hate saying black market to the shadow economy uh, uh, people. And uh, that's just the way it is. And and hopefully the only thing that can happen here is hopefully when we come back to work that uh, uh, clients will have had enough of having their hair cut in the kitchen and will want to come back and visit us in the salons once again. Yeah, I'm assuming that it's not going on inside in the salon. It's hairdressers are going out to people's houses. Is, th- is that? Oh, it's, def- yeah. it's definitely not going on in the salons. And like I was, uh, I was going to do all of these ladies in my salon because I wouldn't feel safe going to their houses. Mm. And, uh, you know, they shouldn't feel safe with me going to their house. You know, so if I could do it in a controlled lockdown situation, well, then um, it would be much better. Like, we have uh, we have everything in place, and I would be in full PPE. Like, I would be in a gown. I would be in, uh, I'd be in gloves and stuff like that, just to ensure that... You see, this these haircuts, Patricia, they're not for vanity. Yeah, it's, the it's very different. The shadow economy are cutting hair for vanity. What you're talking about is very different. You you it's mentioned pe- you mentioned pe- uh, people post chemo. What's the difficulty there with hair okay. post chemo? For for some people post chemo, their hair comes back. Well, obviously, if you if you can imagine pre chemo, you've got long flowing hair, and your hair was your crowning glory. Yeah, and then uh, it falls out with chemotherapy. And then it starts to grow back. And obviously it has to grow back around the shape of the head. And it grows back uh, quite often a different texture, uh, quite often grey. And uh, clients really, really need the skill of, of, of a precision hair cutter to, to put some manners on it 
and to try and get it to a position that it's coming back down again. Believe you me, when it starts to get out of control, it can look quite crazy. You know, so, it, you see, people haven't been in this situation before because they've always had access to hairdressers. The only time they haven't had access to hairdressers is at the weekend when it's closed. You know, so it's, can you, you, you can't imagine what these people are going through, the fact that they have no access yeah, to yeah. get their hair done. And, and God knows they're in a tough enough situation as it is trying to make sure well, that they, they don't they pick up COVID. They found it very difficult when they didn't have hair, right? We don't want them to find it difficult now again when they do have hair. And with everything that's happening in the world, their mental and physical health would get such a boost with a haircut. So, like, like I was asked on the radio the other day, so what do you deem essential? Everybody deems what they do probably essential, okay? But I'm not saying here, I want to cut Mary's hair, take two inches off the end, give her a beautiful balayage. You know, mm-hmm. I'm saying... I'm saying we need to get our, our clients in that are really, really struggling, uh, whether they've got special needs or whether they've got medical conditions that require uh, the, the professionalism of a, a, a stylist and a hair salon. Well, that's how we're going to do it. And we're not going to do it in people's homes. And if you, the little loophole there was, I'm not prepared to charge these people. So I believe if I don't charge them, I'm not breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for someone to come back to me on that. Just Tom, when you mentioned the cancer uh, people post uh, chemo, and thankfully they're on the road to recovery, and and please God, uh, good health will be with them long into the future. Have have you had to shave somebody's hair because they know they're going to lose it because of chemo? Do you know what I've done many times, Patricia? Okay. I've taken a lady with really, really long hair, okay? And I've given her a short, funky haircut, uh, like really, really gorgeous little pixie crop uh, that she can wear for three weeks before she starts her chemo. Uh, and then I've shaved her head, you know? So, like, I try and, I try and say that to people, you know, when, when they know that they're going down this route. I say to them, now's your opportunity to have an absolutely killer short haircut. Yeah. Take some pictures of it, enjoy it, get, know what it's like to have a short haircut. Then, unfortunately, we're going to have to shave it a couple of weeks later. But you've, you've, you, you know that sooner than rather, than, rather than having the dream of having your hair long again, you know that when I take control of it again afterwards, that we'll get you back to a really cool haircut much quicker than we'll get you back to your dream of having long hair again. Yeah, yeah. I, I just imagine it's a very emotional moment for oh, uh, for, oh, for, any, uh, for any, particularly for, the, the women you me, describe with long flowing them. hair. Yeah, for yeah, it's that, tough. Yeah, yeah. For everybody, yeah. for everyone. Okay, yeah. and then the other condition, because I, I know we've spoken about it on this programme, the, the trichotillomania, which most people find such a bizarre um, condition, yeah. but it's, God knows, I've, I've spoken with people over the years who have it, where literally they're pulling their uh, hair out. If they keep their hair short, does that help? It does. does uh, it, yeah. it, it, like, like for the couple of clients I have in that situation, I cut their hair so tight, you know, but, but like... It's cut, it's precision cut with the scissors and comb, you know, it's not a, it's not a razor shaved job, but I cut the hair so tight that they can't actually pull it out. And that's what, that's, the, those people choose to come to me to have that done. Yeah. Um, there are other people that want to have long hair and they're still pulling their hair out. Now they're, they're, they're getting all sorts of help and stuff like that. But eventually I see them going for really, really short hair as well. It's dreadful condition. It's dreadful, dreadful you know what condition. It's like, it's like, did you ever see an adult sucking their thumb? Yeah. 
Yeah. It, did you ever see an adult biting their nails? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> they just can't not. It, it's, it's like... Childhood, it's a childhood thing. Like, you know, did you ever see little girls or little boys twirling their hair? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm doing it now talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of people, you won't be surprised to hear some of these comments coming in. Noreen says, huge sympathy uh, with uh, Niall, but the hairdressers, he's right, they are still going to people's houses. I know a few that are going out and about. People are getting their hair done. Noreen says, I was even offered, did I want my hair done by yeah, a hairdresser? And another listener says, there are people living very near me in Formoy and they have three or four women a day calling in to get their hair done. It is totally yeah. wrong. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for joining us and talking to us uh, on the programme, Nyla. Really enjoyed it and and good luck to you. And when do you expect to reopen, by the way? When do you expect hairdressers to be back up and running? I I don't mean to shock you, okay, and I don't. uh, I've been watching things carefully. Uh, my, My head is saying August, maybe late August. My heart is saying early June. Oh, God, I don't like either of those dates. All right, listen, stay safe and thanks a million for joining us. Patricia, thanks for having me on. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That okay. is uh, Niall Colgan and he of Niall Colgan Hairdressing. He's based at O'Callaghan Strand in Limerick. 1850 333 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork Southwest TD and a keen whale watcher, Christopher O'Sullivan, has urged Cork County Council to back the local community on of Long Island in salvaging the remains of a nine metre humpback whale recently watched up dead in the area. Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. How common are humpback whales off the coast of West Cork? Thankfully, Patricia, they're becoming more common. Um, and I suppose a good way of illustrating this is the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, they would have started their humpback whale catalogue about 30 years ago, um, maybe just over 30 years. Um, and slowly but surely, uh, they built it. Uh, so this is when they uh, take photographs of the um, tail fluke or the dorsal fin of humpback whales. They can identify these whales uh, individually, so they can tell whether they're coming back, whether they're new individuals. But the humpback, Irish humpback whale catalogue, um, only about 10, 15 years ago, I think it stood in the region of about 30. And just in the last uh, 10 years or less, that has increased to 110. So it, it, it looks as though, and it, it, it seems quite clear that uh, humpback, humpback whales are coming here in bigger numbers. They're coming here uh, more frequently. Um, and, you know, that could be down to a whole variety of reasons. I think one of the main reasons is that they stopped uh, hunting them in, in the North Atlantic. I think it was in the 70s. And that obviously led to an increase in their in their population. But Thankfully. there's also the potential that, you know, maybe climate change as well and warmer waters may um, uh, be a cause of that as well. But then what's clear is humpback whales, where, you know, possibly 40 years ago, they may have been a very uh, rare occurrence. Certainly no, and I've seen it firsthand in our trips out from, from Cork McSherry, that between the old Hedekin Sale and uh, Mizzenhead, Gallyhead, um, humpback whales are a far more common experience and, and they're there in huge numbers and now believe it or not Patricia, Ireland and particularly the Cork Coast and particularly even more specifically the West Cork Coast is becoming one of the best places in the world uh, to see whale species including and they're, humpback whales. They're, mag- they're magnificent species. 
They're extraordinary. Yeah. Um, the hump, the humpback uh, adults can grow up to about 16 metres. Um, we quite often get juveniles around here, so they may not necessarily be fully grown. But one adult that we do get here regularly is the probably well-known humpback whale now known as boomerang that I've been lucky to see on a, a number of occasions. And obviously the reason they call him a boomerang is because um, he keeps, keeps coming, coming back, back to Irish waters. I think it's 18 <laughs> of the last 20 years he's, wow. he's been back. And he's a full-grown adult male and... Um, his his blow is big, high and powerful, um, almost full length male, uh, and we know he's a male because the IWDG, uh, in fairness, they do terrific research uh, work uh, with these species. They took uh, a biopsy of of boomerang many years ago, and they realised that he's a, a male, and he actually has a, a little warped dorsal fin that the IWDG suspect that he may have got from battling other males in 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 breeding ground. So there's a there's an incredible story to tell here, Patricia, about um the huge ocean, um, ocean giants that we get off the West Cork coast that you can pretty reliably see either fin whales or humpback whales from, just got news that uh, the first humpback whale of the season was spotted off Waterford um, just this week. So from March right through to October, um, we can fairly reliably show people humpback whales to just, you know, you don't have to come on a boat uh, with us from Cork McSherry or, or, or with any of the other providers around West Cork. You can actually stand up in a headland like the old head and see spot a pair them. of binoculars yeah. look out and you'll see the blow um, okay and this incredible this this um, sadly this humpback whale uh, that washed up um, near near Skull they reckon juvenile between 5 and 10 years of age do we know how this whale died or why this whale died no and, and you know I spoke to the IWDG just before we came on because I wanted to get my facts correct they'd, they'd be very much speculating you'd have to do a proper um autopsy led by a veterinarian who, you know, led by a whale pathologist, I suppose, for want of a better expression. Um, so it, it, it's only speculation. Look, whales do beach from time to time. Sometimes it's a completely natural occurrence. Um, you know, sometimes it's down to maybe perhaps human activity uh, out in the ocean. There's a whole load of, of um, reasons that, that, that whales will strand. But the, the stranding of a humpback whale is it's, it's quite... Uh, a rare event. We do mm. get fin whales from time to time. We get a lot of deep sea species like um, pilot whales. There's, we often get mass strandings of these pilot whales that you would have seen in Donegal and Kerry recently. But the the humpbacks are quite a dexterous species. They can actually do well in shallow waters. Uh, there was incredible scenes just uh, a couple of years ago off Inchidani Beach where there was a humpback whale um, hunting sprat and sand deal in a boat three metres of water, they reckon. And, you know, a lot of people speculated, is this animal in trouble? Is it going to strand? They don't. They're quite clever. They know in this occasion, the whale was uh, essentially um, corralling the fish up against the sandbank and, and just having a great feed for itself. It knew, so yeah, it knew exactly what, what it was doing. OK, exactly. so, wh- so where are the remains of this humpback whale so at the moment? The remains are wedged, uh, I suppose, and, and don't seem to be going anywhere, even after the storm during the week. Uh, they're wedged in between rocks in a place called Kua Bay, which is just west of Pier there near Skull. Um, so they're there, they're still there. We have a, 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 a period of settled weather, so I don't expect that it's going anywhere. Obviously, it's decomposing. I'd imagine the smell right now... Um, Not pretty. ...will <laughs> be keeping people away. It might attract the gulls, but it'll certainly uh, be a deterrent for, 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 for the rest of us. But um, it's there, and it's still there. And so I, that's great news, because the opportunity to do something with these remains 
uh, is, is it a costly who, operation to salvage the remains? It would be, and there's no, there's no um, denying that it would be. I mean, I, I don't know the full cost, for example, of the disposal of the Kilbritton whale um, back in 2009, but it's, it wasn't cheap. But at the same time, here you have a community group in the Long Island Development Association who have identified uh, the importance of these remains. They've, they've identified the potential of having these the specimens on display. The, the, obviously, you have the whole educational um, benefits from it, but you have a huge tourism potential for one of our most stunningly beautiful islands. Um, and, and they've, they've recognised that. So, yeah, there will be a, an initial cost. I think of what the, what the group are looking for is in the region of about 10,000. That would include the disposal, the burial. Um, obviously, you're going to have a lot of offal and blubber that would have to be disposed of. But I think when there's, when, you know, we, we do get these strandings from time to time and quite often people just turn a blind eye and say, okay, we don't want to be dealing with that. But here you have a community who identifies that, you know, the only other specimen of this type on display is up in Dublin in the in the, the dead museum, as they call it. Um, but here you have an opportunity to display it, put it in a public display, attract people to Long Island. There's about 25 permanent residents on Long Island, I believe. But there is a regular ferry service. So, you know, it, 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 it's another reason to visit Long Island. But um, the other thing about that is it tells the incredible story of whale watching and whales in Ireland. And as I've already outlined at the start, Ireland is quickly becoming one of the best places. I mean, you've seen the footage. In fairness, the, the team at C-103 have shared a lot of the footage that we've garnered from Court McSherry. Um, you know, I've just been on RT News, humpback wheel. Breath- Some of the, the video footage is, is literally breathtaking. It's, yeah, it really I, is. I, I and is, really it, is it true that the only other humpback on display is the one in the National History Museum in Dublin? Yeah, I double-checked that with the ideology. Yeah. It is. So, I mean, you, you know, I, I, there, I, I'm not sure if there's been any confirmed uh, sightings of humpback whales in the Liffey recently. I doubt if there has, but I can tell you there has been, um, you know, multiple, multiple sightings down here in West Cork. And this is, you know, there's great news yesterday. The, the famous whale tail, which is mounted near the Clannacilty distillery here in Clannacilty, which is modelled actually on Boomerang, that was put back in place and... Um, last or this week so I mean that, there's another example of something telling when people are driving by they're saying hey what's this connection of uh, Wales to Cork um, and you see there's still a not, a, not a lot of awareness out there that the Cork and the Cork coast is this incredible place to see Wales and all we're trying to do is say you know if you want to see um, reli- have a reliable chance of seeing humpback whales fin whales common dolphins minky whales uh, even basking shark, if you want, if you want to have a good, reliable chance of seeing them in Europe, then guess what? Ireland, Cork, West Cork—that's the place that you want to come. Okay, so you're, put, you're, like this. you're putting the call out to Cork County Council to step yeah. up. In fairness, Cork County Council were very proactive during the uh, incident with the Kilbritton whale, uh, and we've seen that now beautifully mounted down in Kilbritton. The, the visitors that it attracts on there is expected to be in the region of, of thousands. Um, so yeah, listen. I do think Cork County Council, there is a willingness there, but they're kind of, they're stuck and they're um, uh, prevented from doing anything by their, I suppose, their corporate governance. And what I mean by that is that they're showing no flexibility in how they can administer the funding. They're they're telling the group to apply for this West Cork um, Island Fund, but that will take months and months of process, by which time, you know, the whale will well and truly be gone. So what I'm asking for here is a bit of flexibility. Think on our feet. Let's, Let's give the group some funding up front so that they can um, bring over the materials that 
need to be brought over. They can ship it to, to Long Island, that they can bury the animal, bury the, the, the remains of the bones with manure, and then in 18 months' time, you'll have a situation where they can dig it up. It's free of those that stench and that smell, and they can mount it and, and put it on display. And it really would be, you know, Roaring Water Bay, Skull, that whole area is just has so much going for it. And this would be just another... Um, reason to visit the area. Okay, we'll keep a close eye on this in the meantime. Uh, Christopher, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Councillor Christopher O'Sullivan with that call uh, to try to protect the remains of that nine metre or some people saying maybe even ten metres. Uh, Certainly it was a juvenile, I reckon between five and ten years uh, old, unsure what it it died of. But by all accounts, looking at some of the reports when it was washed up, it was last month it was around the end of uh, February it was in there was no obvious signs of how it had uh, died but it was a little bit emaciated but it was in really good uh, condition anyway we'll wait and see we'll Cork County Council will be able to cope with the funding that the locals need in order to salvage the remains of that humpback whale in West Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed now a lot of your thoughts and comments coming in which I'm going to get to but this is something I am very much interested in your thoughts on because it's a a story that's making headlines in the last couple of hours and it's to do with the Minister for State for Special Education and Inclusion. That's uh, Josefa Madigan. She's called for the end of gender titles such as chairman and spokesman but she's gone a step further because she suggested that the County Kerry newspaper should also be renamed to align with gender neutrality. So she's talking about the Kerryman newspaper and she says it should be renamed the Kerry person. I don't know if she is aware that we have the wonderful Corkman newspaper and I'm assuming if she becomes aware of that she'll want the Corkman newspaper to be changed to the Cork person. Now obviously the independent TD for Kerry Michael Healy Ray has come out of the blocks immediately because it's his local paper the Kerryman that is the one that she now he went on to say that he thinks she's a good person and all of that but he thinks she has just gone too far on this one. He said some people go on with political correctness in the hope of it being seen as popular amongst people. He thinks that this is political correctness gone uh, mad and uh, he reckons that the government, he said for God's sake, do your job. We've enough to be worried about rather than to consider the title of the Kerryman newspaper and as I say we'll fly the fag for the Corkman newspaper as well but I'm interested in your thoughts on it um, because when I saw it, when John Paul said it to me first I was saying that's, that's not for real is it? And then I did a quick check and it is for real and then I checked the date and it isn't. It's kind of like something that would get floated on April Fool's Day, isn't it? And you'd have some people believing it and then realising oh God, it's it's April Fool's Day. But it isn't an April Fool's Day joke uh, or anything like that because it is the 18th of March and Josepha Madigan is... uh, is very serious in her belief that she thinks the gender titles such as chairman and spokesperson and I know in some organisations they've already changed that and they don't use chairperson or they don't use chairman or chairwoman they use chairperson or spokespersons others still go with chairman or chairwoman depending on 
whether it's a male or a female, is in charge. But it's the first time I've ever heard somebody call out the newspaper. So we, we will open the phone lines in the text message service on this. Are you with Josepha Madigan? She says it's all to do with the ending of gendered titles and she is the Minister for the Junior Minister for Inclusion and she thinks it's only right and proper. We need to align with gender neutrality. So should we be changing everything and should the Corkman change to the Cork person and the Kerryman change to the Kerry person? Your thoughts? Welcome to that please 1850 333 103 and Pat says uh, Patricia isn't it lovely to see our great Irish horses jockeys and trainers sweeping the board at Cheltenham and a Tipperary woman winning the uh, winning the, the hurl makes us forget about the virus I think a lot of people were so pleased and so proud of young Rachel Blackmore and of course she's made history by becoming the first female jockey to win the champion hurdle at the Cheltenham uh, Festival. So it was a great achievement for her on a honeysuckle. Congratulations once again to Rachel Blackmore and thank you, Pat, for your text on that. On hairdressers, uh, hi Patricia, not all hairdressers operate out of big salons in towns and cities. Many hairdressers have small little salons and according to this listener, some of them are still uh, operating and those that are fair play to them aren't in some pubs operating a backdoor system people won't listen to the rules of this lockdown forever I don't know are there many pubs operating out of the backdoor I don't know I know they're allowed they're still allowed to do takeaway pints because that came up again when they worry about what was going to happen in Dublin yesterday because some of the Dublin pubs are back doing the takeaway pints and what happens with the takeaway pints is people congregate to actually stand outside they have to move away from the premises where they buy the takeaway pint but should they just move up, up the road a little bit and then you've got people congregating and drinking out in the street and I know there was a bit of worry and concern about that I don't know how many people how many pubs are operating behind closed doors but according to this listener there are a number of them and on the hairdressers Liz says dog groomers can do it for certain reasons so why can't hairdressers do it for medical reasons for humans like what Niall Colgan was talking to you about and I know the dog groomers came up last week again on the programme when we were discussing uh, hairdressers and I know the ISPCA they advised dog groomers that they can provide emergency services for clients whose dogs need urgent grooming to prevent welfare issues but I think it has to be done I think it's done on a case by case uh, basis where the groomers will actually assess if the dog needs uh, to be clipped or not but they were saying it's, it's on health and safety it's for animal not health and safety, it's for to prevent welfare issues for the dog is the reason that the dog groomers can operate. Yes, yeah, so the point, that's sort of similar to the point that Niall Colgan was making. He's talking about people who are uh, for health reasons need to have their hair done he's saying I'm not going to cut people's hair for vanity reasons this is because they genuinely it's an essential reason why they get their why they get their hair, hairs done I think the fact that he has gone public I think it's raised that whole issue it'll be interesting to see will the government will never come out and, and make a ruling or make advice on it uh, only time will tell we will certainly keep uh, an eye on it Hi Patricia what a mess this government and its head doctors it's time to wake up look at England they have vaccinated 25 million people and yet we decide to stop part of our COVID vaccine uh, here. Uh, I really uh, feel something needs to be done uh, about this. And well, well, 
and you are right, the UK have vaccinated 25 uh, million people. Even though it looks like the news coming out this morning, they're going to have a bit of a problem in a month's time when they're due to vaccinate. The bulk of the 25 million are due to get their second vaccination and they now are hearing that there is going to be a supply issue. And of course, in this country, we're waiting on the European Medicines, Medicines Agency, the Safety Committee. They are concluding their safety review today on the Oxford AstraZeneca and we should be expecting some news this afternoon and I think most people are hoping that the recommendation will be that people can continue to use uh, the jab we as that listener is critical of but Ireland did temporarily suspend the administration of the vaccine last uh, weekend and of course we know it was to do with the reports coming in from Norway of four incidents of very serious blood clotting in adults who had been uh, inoculated. However there is optimism that the European Medicines Agency's Pharma Risk Assessment Committee will give the vaccine safety clearance following the review uh, today. Now, earlier in the week, the EMA Executive Director, Ema Cook, said there's no indication that the vaccination had actually caused the conditions, but the suspension of the vaccine has caused uncertainty and it's caused anxiety for many cohorts uh, in society. And that's the big worry when this news came out, when it was decided to pause the vaccination, you get people then starting to question whether they'll get the vaccine uh, or not. And I know uh, there's a quote in the paper from the chief executive of Thrombosis Ireland, a lady by the name of Anne-Marie O'Neill. And she said the temporary suspension had led to unbelievable number of calls from anxious patients uh, in the past week because she pointed out like that hundreds of thousands of Irish people take blood thinner medication every day. And that's because of an increased risk of blood clots. And the Thrombosis Ireland said people with severe COVID are also at a greater risk of developing a life-threatening blood clot. So they certainly are urging everyone to be aware of the signs and symptoms, which of course include cell swelling or pain in the leg, shortness of breath or if you're coughing up uh, blood. So I think what the has to be weighed up is do the benefits outweigh the risks here? I mean, everyone's waiting on the European Medicines Agency and hopefully when they come back, when they come today and make their decision, we're hoping and praying that there will be no indication that the vaccine has caused any of the conditions. But as I say, we will wait until this afternoon for the news from the European Medicines Agency. And up to the end of last month, a total of 3,484 reports of suspected side effects were notified to the Health Products Regulatory Authority in this country. But most of the side effects in this country were mild to moderate and there were no incidents as severe as those reported in uh, Norway. Uh, and I know when we had our expert on from UCC, there was no reports of any blood clots in this uh, country either. So only a time will tell. Well, we'll wait until this afternoon to see what's going to happen with the uh, AstraZeneca and whether it can resume. But of course, the, the majority of the vaccines that have been given out in this country have been the Pfizer BioNTech. There's been a smaller number of the AstraZeneca, but that's down to the supply issue coming out of the EU. But as I say, while people are will are 
saying well done to Boris Johnson and the UK government and how they've rolled out their vaccine they could be now facing a little bit of a problem uh, because of the number of people who's going to, who are going to need the second dose and what happens if the second dose isn't available I don't know that how that affects the first dose will it mean having to get it again or not so we'll be watching that one closely as well 1850-333-103 John Paul continues to take your calls John in Mallow on St Patrick's Day thought yesterday was all a bit ironic to John he said he was watching people in other countries and restaurants and bars celebrating St Patrick's Day while we here in this country we couldn't even get a pint to wet the shamrock he thought that was all a little bit uh, ironic and Jason says it's strange the way our Taoiseach Micheál Martin sacked some of his own ministers at the time of Golfgate but yet Leo Varadkar is staying on is it one rule for Fianna Fáil members of government and a different rule for Fina Gale or is it that they're also desperate to stay in power and nobody wants a general election 1850 333 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 C103 Jobs Electricians and fourth year apprentices are wanted it's for a new project in Ringeskiddy now there are day and night shifts available in Chidani Island Lodge and Spa they are now recruiting for accounts assistants. They're looking for food beverage supervisor, chefs, receptionists, therapists, bar and waiting staff. And an admin person is wanted. It's a part-time position and it's a Cronin's Hardware in Ballylickey. And a childbinder required for three school-going children in the Newmarket area, non-smoker and own car required because you'll, you'll be required to do school runs. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher feels that the EU vaccine supplies should be prioritised for countries that are carrying out their vaccination programmes swiftly and efficiently. To explain why, Billy Kelleher uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Billy. Good morning. And you, you're, morning. Wel- you're welcome to the programme. Are you aware of some member states who almost seem to be stockpiling their vaccines in freezers? And if so, why are they not using them immediately as we are doing here in this country? Well, I suppose, Patricia, it's not that they're actually stockpiling. It's just that they're getting a certain allocation week in, week out. Uh, some countries are distributing as much as 90% or 95% in Ireland's case of the vaccines they actually receive on any one week. But if you look at other countries, are down to 60s. Now, I mean, that means that there are some vaccines week in, week out that could be uh, reorientated to other countries within the European Union if they are using their allocation. So I, I just think that, you know, while we have a scarcity of vaccines, not just in Europe, but across the world, and when we're still trying to get the vaccines out to the vulnerable cohort groups, um, I, I think that we should... Um, really prioritise and use as efficiently as possible those scarce vaccines in the short and medium term. So you look at countries like Germany where, you know, they're probably distributing around 65 to 67% of their weekly allowance. And of course, they would have a massive number of doses because of their population. So I just think that uh, rather than just continually allocating on a pro rata basis, that they would also look at uh, the, the fact that some countries can distribute them 
uh, quickly and administer them where other countries are struggling to administer them. Yeah, and while people might be complaining about the slow uh, rollout of the vaccine in this country, uh, Billy, the HSE has to be applauded, don't they, for the speed in the way they're delivering the vaccine as soon as they arrive on our shores? Yes, in fairness, I mean, look, we, we, I've been very critical and, and of, of the rollout in terms of the European part of it, you know, from time to time with regard to contracts, how they actually drafted the contracts with the companies. Uh, there was no sort of schedule of supply uh, guaranteed, you know, these particular issues. And we were slow and probably uh, lethargic in getting up and running from a European perspective. Now, they're doing their best. There's a shortage of supplies and that is a difficulty. But Ireland's... Uh, the biggest difficulty is that there is a supply scarcity to Ireland and we just can't administer the doses uh, because we don't simply have them. And what I'm saying, even from an Irish perspective, you know, a couple of hundred thousand additional doses front-loaded to us over a couple of weeks would make a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at Germany, you know, they possibly could at any one stage have, um, you know, five to uh, four or five million doses that aren't being used immediately and they may be... Uh, are sitting around for uh, a week or two, that there could be a redistribution uh, of those particular doses uh, to countries that are actually waiting for them from the European centralised system. And I think that would be effective. And primarily just while we're you know, trying to roll out the vaccines, as I said, to the vulnerable groupings, uh, the elderly cohorts, frontline workers, uh, and, and all, the, the, all the, the priority groupings, and that, not just in Ireland, but across the European Union as well. And at EU level, is there any kind of a push to give the vaccines to the countries who are prompt in handing out the jabs? Well, I suppose countries are very slow or reticent to um, be seen to be sharing their vaccines, but at the same time, uh, like we're not asking to give anything back. It's just that when there is an allocation to be made to a country, that they would look at what uh, spare doses they actually have that they haven't used, and rather than giving them another allocation on top of that, that they might reprioritise within the countries that are actually after administering all their doses. So Ireland, you know, week in, week out, it administers what it gets, about 90 to 95%. So we could always use additional doses and uh, other countries similar to ourselves, Denmark and others. But then if you look at other countries, they really are, you know, uh, struggling to hit the 60% um, administration rate uh, of doses. And particularly with the big countries like Germany and um, France in particular, uh, at around that rate, that does mean there's a lot of vaccines that are uh, not being used as quickly as they could. I'm not saying they're going to be wasted, but they could be reorientated into short, medium term uh, to countries that could uh, vaccinate their vulnerable cohorts. Are you personally frustrated at the slow delivery of the vaccines to the EU? Well, yes, I'm very frustrated, uh, primarily for the point of view that, you know, you look at, at what we are trying to do in terms of the European Union. It did, in fairness, uh, centralise the system. It went into contracts in good faith with many companies. Uh, some vaccines haven't been approved yet or only more recently. Uh, but AstraZeneca has been a very disappointing in terms of its delivery. It was to commit to uh, 100 million in the first, uh, uh, you know, sorry, 70 million in the first uh, quarter. And, uh, you know, we're down out to 30 million. So that's 40 million doses less across the European Union. And we were hoping that they would uh, increase that in the second quarter. And it looks like they're going to be in difficulties as well, even to reach half of that particular target that they'd committed to. So there is a shortage of supply. And I think that is going to, um, you know, come to a real pinch point in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if you look at the UK as well, they've now announced that they're going to be short of AstraZeneca as well uh, due to uh, the manufacturing uh, plant in um, India being unable to deliver 
uh, on the 10 million dose they've committed that they're now going to reduce that by 5 million. So there is pressure on across the globe. But I would be very worried about that, Patricia, overall, is that if we start to you know, really um, become nationalistic in terms of uh, stopping exports, not just from a European perspective, no, but stopping exports of ingredients in particular uh, that manufacture, that go into the manufacture of vaccines, we could end up with sort of supply chains uh, being very difficult uh, to move, in other words, getting ingredients from one country to another country, getting the vials, getting the the, the, the equipment that you need for manufacturing of vaccines, all of these things, uh, you know, move from country to country in terms of um, export and import. And if we start to really see the pinching of and the nationalising of those particular ingredients, it may slow very much um, the production of vaccines uh, across the globe and that will obviously impact on Europe as well. well so we so th- yeah, well, the, the EU um, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen yesterday threatening that vaccines could be halted to countries with higher vaccination rates. I mean, and the obvious one for us is the UK. I mean, they've got 25 million people vaccinated. Yes, well, I suppose, Patricia, I mean, the point that is being made, I mean, while Europe has exported 41 million doses of vaccines in the last six weeks, and of of the 41 million, uh, 10 million have gone to the UK. So, I mean, we are effectively, well, the European Union is producing vaccines, and they're leaving the European Union and going to countries, not just the UK, but are going to countries that actually have a higher vaccination rate than the European Union. Uh, And certainly, while we are still trying to get the vaccines out to the vulnerable groupings and the cohorts that need them because of age or illness or, or frontline uh, workers, well, then I think it would make sense for us to at least have a situation where vaccines that are produced in Europe uh, would initially go uh, to uh, European uh, people uh, in view of the fact that we are manufacturing a lot and a lot are leaving our shores and going to countries that actually have more people vaccinated than we have. And this is not being, uh, you know, small-minded. It's just that, like, it doesn't make sense in, a, in just basic decency and fairness that you would actually export vaccines from Europe to a country that is vaccinating, you know, its, its population uh, that aren't vulnerable. Mm. In, in other words, they may be vaccinating 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and we still in Europe trying to find vaccines to vaccinate the vulnerable groupings. So I think that would really be the area that I would uh, suggest that they should look at to make sure that you know we target the, the vulnerable groupings, get them vaccinated, and after that, then obviously the flow of vaccines can, can happen again. But AstraZeneca has been a challenge in terms of what they said they would do and what they have done in terms of production, uh, capacity and supply to countries, uh, particularly the European Union. But we have the, the bizarre situation here in our own country in that up the north, just across, the, you know, people, particularly people in the border counties, just across the border from them, you know, people over the age of 50 are now getting vaccinated and we haven't even got all of our over 70s done yet. Yes, uh, we haven't got all of our over 70s done yet, and that is the, and that's the point that is being made. I mean, you know, AstraZeneca has two plants in um, the UK. They are manufacturing exclusively for the UK. There's also AstraZeneca plants uh, manufacturing in the European Union. Uh, and some of the vaccines that are actually being created, not just in the, uh, the AstraZeneca plant in, in Europe, but the Pfizer-BioNTech and other ones, and they're going to the UK. And at the same time, as you said, the European Union hasn't had the the vaccine supply to allow it to vaccinate its vulnerable groupings. And I just think that, you know, we just have to be fair and reasonable. It also uh, militates against the European Union being able to provide vaccines uh, to the very vulnerable countries uh, that can't afford vaccines, um, you know. Uh, the third world countries, yeah, yeah. Yes, and, you know, it will it will reduce our capacity to allow us to um, 
invest in what we call COVAC, which is to try and at least get the vaccines to countries where there's huge vulnerability in terms of um, certain frontline workers and, and elderly people as well. So we have to be, in, in a way, just strategic about how we uh, use them and how we allow the flow of vaccines out of the, Europe, out of the European Union. Bear in mind the United States, which is a huge ma- uh, manufacturer of vaccines as well, they have an export ban. Uh, you know, but they're not importing from other countries as well, so they're not interfering with our particular um, taking from the European Union. So uh, it's really the issue around exporting out of Europe is our concern at the moment. Yeah, there was some good news on Tuesday the, with Pfizer giving the extra vaccines in the second quarter, t- taking it from the third and fourth quarter order. That's a bit of good news. Yes, in fairness, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech, uh, you know, they have uh, been incredibly efficient. Uh, there was uh, one or two hiccups, uh, but they did uh, have to recommission a plant in Bro- in Belgium to increase capacity. Now that is beginning to kick in in terms of the production rates. So all of these things means that Pfizer-BioNTech, which is uh, a more expensive vaccine and it is more complex because it has to be stored at a lower temperature, but at the same time it is there, it's now available and it is rolling out. But some of those vaccines that are produced in Europe, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech, go to the UK and go to other countries as well. So, you know, we just have to look at all of these things. But I I would hate to think that we would really get into this... um, sort of trench warfare in terms of vaccine production between all the countries, uh, you know, if there was fairness and equity so that we would could agree that, that, you know, priority would be given to the vulnerable cohorts, the elderly, frontline workers and those that need it quickly and efficiently so that we can get back to some normality and then that we could roll it out to the broader population on a phase basis. But if some countries have their entire population vaccinated uh, because they either are hoarding vaccines or producing just for themselves and not sharing and at the same time other countries uh, allowing vaccines to be exported or in this case the European Union, it, it doesn't make sense. So we have to, you know, firstly look to ourselves and look to the vulnerable groupings within the European population first. Okay, and I know you're speaking to us from Brussels uh, this morning. Uh, Any news on the European Medicines Agency Safety Committee? I know they're to conclude their safety review on the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine and whether they'll recommend that countries can continue to use the jab. Is there anything coming out yet or anything being leaked as to what's what's expected to be? I suppose, Patricia, it's imminent, the announcement. It even could be just being made as we are speaking. Oh. And, you know, I'd say to give a, a view one way or the other as to what they have said, because I haven't seen it, but I know that it, it is imminent in, okay. in terms of their announcement. The World Health Organization has already issued a statement saying that, you know, they, they believe it to be um, a, a, a safe vaccine and that it, it will be effective in the fight against COVID-19. But we're waiting for the, the email now to issue a statement. And, um, you know, I would still be hopeful that... Um, they would issue it in the positive because then it would allow us to uh, at least use what AstraZeneca vaccines are there uh, in the fight against COVID. Yeah, because so many people were disappointed when they had to have their uh, appointments for the vaccination cancelled. OK, listen, Billy, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this thank morning. You, Good morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Ireland South MEP uh, Billy Kelleher joining us from uh, Brussels with the latest on vaccines. 1850-333-103. John Paul uh, taking your calls. I can already see some of your thoughts coming in. There's a lot of them 
coming in. Just let me see if I can uh, catch up with some of them. This is on the story that I mentioned at the top of the hour of Josefa Madigan. She's the Junior Minister for Inclusion and she's calling for the end of gendered titles. She wants to get rid of chairman, she wants to get rid of a spokesperson but she went a step further. She also believes that the Kerryman newspaper should consider a change of title and be called the Kerry person instead and we're throwing in because she may be unaware that there's a Corkman newspaper. Does that mean that we're also going to have to change the uh, Cork man to the Cork person? Tom Invada was in straight away with an interesting point. He said, uh, what would she do with the Woman's Way magazine then? Where does it end? Would it be the Person's Way magazine, Tom? I don't know. Owen in Skibbereen. I agree with uh, Michael Heedyway and it was Kerry Independent TD Michael Heedy Ray uh, said it was just pol- political correctness gone mad. Owen Skibreen says, I agree with Michael Heedy Ray. Way more things to worry about than a newspaper title. Anya in McCroom then says, I feel too much emphasis is placed now on gender. I'm a manager in my workplace and a lot of those in my workplace in management are female. I know many women who own their own businesses. However, every time we hear of these gender reports, you would think that women have not progressed at all. I wonder is it those who are compiling these reports are not moving on in the world as I know so many women in business who are doing fantastic stuff and for one don't see and for one I don't see a big gender gap that everyone is talking about. I feel the more I hear about more I hear about gender gap uh, the more I feel it is actually putting women down. 1850 John Paul taking the calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And we are going to Fomoy Guard, the station where I'm joined by Sergeant uh, John Kelly uh, for this week's Guard the File. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. and and you're welcome to the program. I know we're Thank going. I know we're going to be talking about scams in a moment, but I've just spotted a text in from a listener saying, Patricia, would you alert listeners that there's a number of scam calls doing the rounds uh, this morning? Tell people, please be very, very careful. There are scam phone calls, uh, so please be careful. As I say, we will be speaking about scams, online scams, with John in just a moment. But firstly, you're looking for help with theft of a cement mixer. This is an unusual theft. It happened in Donnerill. Yeah, well, I suppose first, Patricia, just to say thanks very much to yourself and your listeners for the help and assistance that you gave us uh, with that appeal that I made two weeks ago. 100% uh, response. And uh, we were we were delighted we got the people we were looking for. Um, now, on to the cement mixer. Yeah, um, there has been no burglaries for the past week. So the five-kilometer uh, rule is definitely having a, having a big in, impact on, the, you know, the... No, no burglaries occurring in the Corknout area um, and probably other rural areas as well around the country. Um, now, you still have a bit of low-level theft. Now, in this case, a cement mixer just dis- uh, disappeared from a building site there um, over in uh, Donnerill. Um, it would have occurred between 7.30pm on the 13th, which is the Saturday, and 9.30am 9, 9, uh, on the 15th. So between the Saturday and the Monday last. So um, just for people to keep it in the back of their mind, if they saw any um, unusual activity, if they saw somebody removing a, uh, um, a you know, a cement mixer, might cross their mind, what would they do? And you would need transport. That's not something you can pick up and walk off with, yeah. No, no, no. You'd probably put it in the back of a trailer or into the back of a small van. Again, 
Um, and just to double on the warning there, uh, you know, by that person that texted you in as regards the scam phone calls, um, there are a number of st- scams um, still going, uh, and it seems to be that part seems to be increasing. Um, now, we spoke the last day there about um, the type of scam whereby somebody has been Googling online for a loan, and the next thing suddenly something appears up as regards advertising loan. Again, uh, fraudulent websites have been used. In the one particular case, going back on the 11th, um, uh, a person 23 years of age, male, they entered their details on what, what came up. It turned out to be a fake Bank of Ireland website. They were offered a 5,000 loan, but here was the catch. They had to pay 323 up front um, in order to get the loan. Now, lucky enough, they recognised straight away scam, you know, and they went to their, their local Bank of Ireland, uh, and following which they went to the Garda station as well. The second incident, the following day, again, something similar, uh, where a lady was uh, Googling in her 40s, was Googling, uh, you know, online, and um, uh, she was being offered uh, 20,000 loan, as she thought, from Provident Loans, but of course, that was a cloned uh, website, you know, purporting to be Provident Loans. She sent off 370 euros uh, to source the loan, and she was then asked for another 750. When she got the second request, she realized, yeah, this is a scam. So I'm just giving the ages just to show the people that it's people of all ages are being caught, you know. And um, so, so for people just to be aware of it, again, we see this is something, it's it's happening all over the country, but for just people to keep it at the back of their mind. Um, and I think people should get suspicious immediately, John. If you're going somewhere for a loan, you're yeah. never going to be asked to pay money up front for the loan. Absolutely, your your yeah. suspicions, Correct. the alarm bells should start to ring immediately. Correct. And uh, like, you know, it may be that some people, unfortunately, you, you, you know, they have a bad credit history. Well, then they should try and start building up a credit history again with the local uh, credit union, you know, so they will be able to source money in a legitimate way, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, this is why an awful lot of this, you know, is happening at this time, you know. Um, another thing I just want to ask, uh, we have a, an appeal there, Mallow District. Um, they're looking for possible witnesses who saw an A4 in the Buttevant town, the Scal Road area, between 11pm and uh, 12.30, so one and a half hour period. So 11pm and and half an hour after midnight on the 5th of 6th of March. Now, any motorists in the area as well who may have dash cam footage. Basically, uh, there was a person on duty at 11 Crossing. Um, walking for Ian Rodeon, they heard the noise, um, they looked out the window and they saw two unknown individuals at, um, a, very, uh, at a car outside. Now, they had a portable jack, they had a room with a car, and, and uh, they, you know, they were taking their the catalytic converter, you know. So maybe somebody passed at the time that would have dash cam footage. Again, it's an RDA4, and the location was Butterman Town, this Cal Road area, between 11 p.m. and uh, 30 minutes after midnight on the 5th or 6th of March. Now, there hasn't been, there seems to be a decline in this type of crime as well, but again, it's certain cars they're targeting. In this case, it was a Toyota Yaris, the, the type of the Prius, Toyota Prius is another thing. So anyone that has cars like that, you know, just to make sure... Uh, to, to be aware that they are the types that are being targeted. Other makes as well, but I see them popping up all the time, you know. So you need to be careful where you park it overnight or where, where you're leaving it during the day? 
Absolutely, yeah. 100%. You know, and I've seen it even online uh, videos of the fellas with the portable jacks just pulling up in under a uh, battery-powered uh, mini-angle grinder and literally they have it off in about a minute uh, into the back of the car and they're gone, you know. And they make, yeah. such, they make such a tiny amount of money from the catalytic converter, but the cost to the, to the motorist is huge. Oh, the replacement cost is huge. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you're talking maybe uh, the Toyota Yaris, in some cases, okay, it might be a zero, zero or zero one. I mean, to replace the catalytic converter is more than the price of the car. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for people to be aware of that, you know, lock, you know, lock them up, keep them in, in an area where they can be seen, you know. Um, two other final points, I'll make them quickly. Uh, one is in regards to a couple of investigations we have going at the moment. Uh, we have two going over now. We had one last year in Formoy. We're probably not aware of the full uh, amount of them that are happening. But it, it's where somebody, maybe it could be a young people, uh, it, it can in some cases be, uh, you, you know, people in, in middle age, you, you know, and they're going on the website, uh, basically, you, you know, looking maybe Tinder or any of those dating websites, you know, and they're being fished, shall we say, they've been lured in by profiles, fake profiles. Um, they think they're corresponding with, you know, with a flesh and blood person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, a fake profile created for the purpose of harvesting money. Now, they, they, they do by means of blackmail, they get the person to send on maybe compromising photographs of themselves after a while, and uh, the next thing, the blackmail requests start. As I say, we're dealing with two of them in Mallow, have dealt with one last year, can in some cases be, you know, I know in one case it was 10,000, you know, uh, you know, or, or else uh, the, the blackmail thing was, well, you know, they were after accessing their contacts, and we send those photos onto your contacts. You know? And this this can happen on any dating website. You just have to be so careful of the person that you're communicating with to make sure that it is a genuine absolutely. person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and to look for people just uh, just be aware of this. And I'm quite sure we're not aware of the full uh, full amount of, of of what's happening in this regard. You know, and and just for people to be, you, you know. To, you know, as I say, a warning to to people to be very, very cautious. But know, people might be embarrassed about getting caught out, but you're saying to them to come forward if they have been caught out? Absolutely. You know, come come forward, uh, you know, and uh, we, we will give any assistance that, that we can, you okay. know. Okay. Um, the final thing I would just want to mention briefly is that I suppose, at a, you know, we're at, it's a unique time uh, for many ways, but there are historically low levels of uh, returns on investments. And uh, people are looking around, what will I invest in? What can I put my money in? You know, and, uh, you know, they're being tempted by various things that are out there. Now, some things are, uh, I suppose, maybe start-up businesses, you know, ensure that they do do, do due diligence on whatever they're doing. You know, whether it's in investing in new whiskey distilleries, as, as a lot of them are at the moment, or investing in different other start-up businesses, but investing in cryptocurrencies, you know. Now, I mean, investing in crypto currencies on investments and lending linked to them, you know, it, in ge- it generally involves taking very, very high risks with people's money. And, uh, you know, a word of caution, if consumers invest in these type of products, they should be prepared to lose all of their money, you know, mm. so that as with all high-risk speculative investments, you know, people should understand what they're investing in, the risks associated with investing, and any regulatory, you know, protections that apply, you know, and I mean, it's like anything else. Some investments advertising high returns based on cryptocurrency, you know, they're not subject to regulation, you know. 
Uh, they'll be under the reach of the central bank. They're on, and it's not just the Irish central bank. They'll be under the reach of every central bank. You know, they're a form of unregulated digital currency, and uh, you, you know we we see them being used. Uh, you know, criminals have used them all over the world. Uh, you know, for blackmailing. You know, the blackmail money is going to be paid in cryptocurrency. You know, so for people to be very very aware. But we see that um, from a Garda point of view, they're incredibly incredibly hard to investigate as well, uh, because. He, the amount of technology that's involved and also that an awful lot of those scams are emanate from outside the jurisdiction and it involves, uh, you know, liaison with, uh, you know, auto police forces, Europol, Interpol, etc., you know. So just for people to be very, very aware of what they're doing, you know, with their hard-earned money okay. and ensure and that it they're is, do, doing... It is your hard-earned cash. You deserve to hang on to it, not to lose Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay, listen, yeah. uh, John, thank you for that. Have a good week and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good Pardon. morning to you. That is Sergeant John Kelly joining us from Formoy, a guy the station. And I started my piece with John with somebody saying to be aware that there are scam phone calls during, uh, during the round, rounds. Well, Michael by text saying, Patricia, I've just had a call from Tunisia. It looks at first glance to be an to one number. Well, when you look at it very carefully, there's an extra zero at the beginning of it. And some of the smart smartphones, it'll come up saying that the call is from Tunisia, but that doesn't come up on every phone. And obviously, Michael doesn't have family living in Tunisia, so he didn't answer the call. A lot of the scam calls, I have to say, originate from uh, Tunisia. So please keep a look out those scam calls doing the rounds uh, today. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about scams today and we were talking about them with Sergeant John Kelly on our guard the file. And Mary in Kilbrin phone contacted us about an unusual thing that happened to her. She received a call on her phone. Now, a name, a gentleman's name came up. She knew the man, but she said, I didn't have his number in my phone. So she's wondering, why is this guy ringing me? So she rang back and he didn't answer. And then later he rang her back and said, I'm returning a missed call from you. And she said, well, I was returning a missed call from you. And he said, I never rang you. And she said, well, how did your number end up on my uh, phone? And she said it was an actual phone. It wasn't a WhatsApp. It wasn't a, a Facebook call. And she was wondering, had it, had it happened to anybody else because they couldn't figure it out? It happened to me last year. I ended up getting a missed call on my phone from, it was a mobile number, I'm sure, which I, I didn't know the number. So I didn't, but I didn't ring it back or anything. And it was an, it was an Irish uh, number. And then later on in the afternoon, I got another call from the same number and it was a guy answered the phone saying, I'm returning a call from you. And I said, no, I had a missed call from you. And then we ended up chatting about who who got the call first and he had got the call first from my number. And I said that that wasn't me. And it was actually how I was able to say to him, it wasn't me. I said, I work in radio. I was actually on air at that time. It was about half 10 in the morning. So I said, I definitely, I wasn't because he was saying, could anybody else have used your phone? And I said, no, have my phone with me. It's on silence. So I said, I definitely didn't make the call and nobody had access uh, to my to my phone. So I, I, I went online and I can't remember, it wasn't called spoofing because spoofing is where it looks like another number. But I certainly saw a lot of it going on in the States where scam artists will take your number 
and they'll use it to make phone calls. Now, they're not, they're only using the number. They're not physically using your phone, but it looks like it's coming from your number in the hope that you'll answer because it looks like it's, in, you know, an ordinary 087, 086, 085, whatever it is. They're hoping people will answer and then when they answer, that's how the, I don't know what kind of scams that were involved uh, in it. Now, luckily, I didn't get another call. I was there waiting, going, oh no, do I now need to change my phone? Am I going to get flooded with these calls? Because when I went, as I say online I saw some people in America I saw one woman in America was saying she just literally had to change her phone number because she was getting up to 50 calls a day from people saying I'm returning a call why are you ringing me and she was saying no that's not me somebody has some way cloned uh, my number but as I say I didn't get another call so I felt I got away with it so I'm assuming that that's what's happened here to Mary in in Kilbrin Uh, but what the scam is behind it I am unsure but it was very strange Mary that somebody that you actually knew and that his name that's the one thing I'm really surprised by that his name wasn't in your phone book and the name of the man came up on the phone that's a real um, interesting twist uh, on it maybe get onto your phone provider and tell them what's happened and maybe they'll be able to put some explanation on it for you and let us know how you get on. And then Barry was on. This is to do with when we've been talking about vaccines and how we're all uh, people very concerned about the slow rollout of vaccines and particularly in comparison to what's going on in the UK and they've 25 million vaccinated and why can't we vaccinate at the same speed and we know why we just physically can't get our hands on the vaccine and then people coming into this country that we still have people travelling in and out of this country now much lower numbers than we're travelling say before the pandemic but we still we still have people travelling in and out of this country and actually I was looking at the figures for yesterday before I get to Barry's uh, comment the figures for yesterday on COVID positive cases, 557 tested positive with sadly 17 more people losing their lives to the virus. But when you look at the breakdown of the figures, the highest number of cases were in family homes. There was 205 clusters. This is over the last 14 days. The figures were out of the 14-day incident uh, rate. Highest counties are Offaly, Longford, Kildare and Dublin. And the lowest in- incident rate are Leitrim, Kilkenny, ourselves here in Cork and our neighbours across the border in Kerry. But the largest reports of outbreaks for last week were in family homes, 205 uh, clusters. And then there's a breakdown of showing its extended families, its families going to visit another family member and going from one house into another ha- another house. But what was interesting, now it's only one. There was uh, there was like 14 outbreaks in workplaces, 10 in a commercial centre, one was in a food factory and one was in an office. And there was just one that was reported from, from overseas travels. So there are still some coming in overseas, but it was only one had been reported overseas. But Barry was on to say that he thinks it's a bit of a joke the way we're allowing people into this country. His friend was coming in, back in from the oil rigs and flying into Dublin Airport. Now, he got tested by his company before leaving his workplace and before getting on the plane. He reckons, looking around the plane, now it obviously wasn't a full flight, but looking around the plane, he reckoned he was the only one on the flight that was genuinely returning home from work. He said the rest were definitely holidaymakers. There was three girls and he could overhear their conversation. They were coming back from Brazil. He said they were coming back from Mardi Gras. 
uh, which which is on, isn't it, at the start of uh, Lent. He said they were sitting a few seats in front of him and they were having a jolly great time talking about the wonderful holiday they had for Mar- Mardi Gras over in Brazil. So Barry says, if this is happening while we're all in lockdown, what hope do we have? We need much more leadership when it comes to those that are entering this country. And if they had travelled from Brazil, then they should be quarantining for two weeks. And of course, as we mentioned on Tuesday on the programme, we're now gone past the deadline that was set to have our quarantine hotels open and we still don't have our quarantine hotels. The legislation has been passed for the quarantine hotels but we still do not have those hotels up and running. So those three lassies got off the plane after having a jolly great time in Brazil and free to go back to work, free to move around. Now I know they would have had to fill in forms saying where they were going to go but there'll be nobody checking up or even if they do check up they'll ring a mobile phone and are you isolating? Oh yeah, yeah, of course I am but there's nobody checking to see that they're actually doing it. So that is really, really uh, frustrating and I imagine, Barry, that your friend on the plane sitting close to people that were just coming from Brazil, you know, they, I'm assuming that they would have had a COVID test for getting on the plane, but that I'd be very nervous about sitting a couple of seats away from, from people who are just back, just on the plane back from Brazil for sure. 1850-333-103. And then lots of people commenting on the story from the Junior Minister for Inclusion, Josefa Madigan, has called for an end of gender titles such as chairman and spokesperson and she's gone so far as to say the Kerryman newspaper should consider a change of title. Now, we've had too many calls and comments to get through all of them, but let me just give you a sample of some of them. Uh, John says, in the middle of a pandemic and society in crisis at the moment, this is the best that Minister Josefa Madigan can come up with. Will we now have to get a new word for ombudsman? is it remove anything that the word man is in. The word man, according to John, is gender neutral. It was never meant to be an actual man. It always was representative of man and woman. I take it, John, what you're talking about is mankind was what it actually means. Also coming in, I got to those calls coming in on text on uh, this. Oh my God, Patricia, this is utter nonsense. What are we now going to have to call manhole covers from here on uh, in? Mary in Newmarket says, well, Patricia, if they change the Kerryman newspaper to the Kerry person newspaper, the Bible will have to be changed as well. We were always led to believe that when man was used in the context, it referred to either man or woman. Someone else says, we are not a genderless species. There's nothing wrong with being a man and is there's nothing wrong with being a woman. So what is wrong? with saying a chairperson if it's a woman or a chairman if it's a man. People get a bit silly and extreme when it comes to matters like this. We are... Now, this text says we aren't indeed equal, we're different. I'm assuming what the the texter is saying, uh, we are equal, we're just different, i.e. there are two different genders and oftentimes we have different roles that we have to play. Michael by Texas, Patricia, I really think this idea of Josepha Madigan is beyond daft. Surely the gender of a spokesperson or chairperson shouldn't be should be based on ability rather than focusing on the gender. It's all really silly. It most definitely isn't the first time that she's come up with something strange or even a crazy idea. Renaming of newspapers with hundreds of years of history is beyond my understanding says uh, Michael and Breda in Mallow says Patricia I don't often agree with Deputy Michael Healy Ray but on this one I do I think this is pure madness 
sure we won't be able to say man or woman next sorry for my rant here well you're welcome to your rant uh, Breda thank you for that Trish I wish they would cop on and deal with the real issues in this country rather than worrying about gender equality God created humans males and females the word man is used in so many different ways man made man whole manufacturer manual mankind I actually agree with Deputy Michael Heaney Ray enough is enough this is political correctness gone mad Bernie says get on with your jobs that you were voted in to do and please concentrate on the more serious issues someone else says Patricia for goodness sake why does anybody want to alienate gender we're all part of mankind meaning we're human beings made up making up the human race I'm proud to be classified as a woman I don't want to be referred to as a person and I certainly don't want to be referred to as non-gender. Okay, that's just some of your calls and texts coming in on this particular issue. Okay, then on other issues in... Hi, Mary. I was in Mallow yesterday. The amount of people not wearing masks and grouping together was uh, shocking. Well, remember, you you don't have to wear a mask when you're outside. There was lots of people out walking. um, And there's lots of people not wearing masks when they're outside. Not many people are. But by the... The, the rules and regulations and the restrictions we're living under at the moment you don't have to wear one when you're outside unless you're in a very crowded area it's suggested that you do but yesterday was just a beautiful day I think people were trying to get out and get as little bit and as much sunshine and as much exercise as they can and Mary I always say to people if you go somewhere and you're feeling nervous and you're feeling that there's too many people you're in a crowded situation and you, that you would prefer if everybody's wearing masks and move just go somewhere where there's less people about or go out have your walk if it's a, it's a park you want to go to and there's too many people go there when it's quieter that's where the personal responsibility comes back, comes back into it as well and then when we were talking about hairdressers and should hairdressers open and we had the lovely Niall Colgan on uh, who I thought made a lot of sense when he was talking about people not for vanity's sake they want their hair done but there can be medical reasons why somebody needs to get their hair done and he just came across as such a compassionate kind caring hairdresser didn't he and he says he's you know willing to to do and he doesn't want to get paid for it but he feels some of his clients are in desperate need of getting their hair done as he say it's nothing at all uh, to do with vanity. I think when he spoke about the people post chemo and how they desperately need to have their hair done and the people who suffer from that um, trichotillomania where they actually pull their hair out and people with alopecia and there are other reasons and as somebody said you could bring a dog to the dog groomer on an animal rights issue but there are humans who desperately need to have their hairs done and, and technically under level 5 they can't have their hairs uh, done a listener there's no, there's no name on this hi Patricia I know of two people and one for sure is a member of my family who's going way outside of their 5 kilometre to go to a dentist to get one of these you know these 6 month uh, smiles it's not emergency dental work but they do have a letter from the dentist to say that they're getting these 6 month smiles what's the difference with a hairdresser a hairdresser is one on uh, one and when you go into a hairdresser both people are wearing masks when you go to the dentist the dentist might be wearing the mask even for these six month smiles but the other person in the chair is not uh, wearing it we're all following the guidelines and yet you can have people deciding to do this and this listener says since the dentist people cannot travel to Tenerife anymore to get their teeth done seemingly these companies and these dentists that are offering these six month white smiles are doing a roaring trade the guardie one of my family members is a cousin of mine the cousin shows the letter and the guardie just wave her on because all it says is that she's a dental appointment. So the guardie 
think she's going for an emergency filling or an extraction or whatever and it couldn't be it's nothing but it's going for for vanity's sake nothing at all uh, to do with an emergency and that's going on wholesale 1850 John says Patricia regarding hairdressers and barbers surely they should be allowed to open going there is surely safer than going into a supermarket when you go into the hairdressers or the barbers when they were open everybody was wearing a mask so it's much safer I was in my local supermarket on Saturday it was packed with people when a person's hair is done you get that great positive feeling John says please 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 consider reopening the hairdressers and the barbers ASAP 1850 we're looking for your pet questions please Jane is going to join us you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice see corkcoco.ie Kelsale Atlantic Artists this is their Pink for Daffodil Day window and online exhibition is running and it runs up to the end of the month Monday the 29th of March proceeds going directly to the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day Fund Knocknagree Community Development are inviting people to join their virtual charity walk it's Native Breast Cancer Research and their community hub uh, it's ongoing from now up to tomorrow Friday the 19th of March you donate to their Instagram or Facebook page or you can contact Mairead on 87 2715419 and Limerick University students are holding the Jacintha O'Brien Memorial 999 for the Frontline event from Monday the 22nd to Friday the 26th of March raising funds for Limerick Suicide Watch the Martyr Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society to take part you just run walk or cycle 9 kilometres donate 9 euro and then nominate 9 friends to do the same you can check out the 999 for Frontline on social media Court Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Mary in Araglin wants me to say well done to the group in Araglin who lit up the dune waterfalls last night for St Patrick's Day it was lit up green I saw photographs online it looked really really spectacular they also had dancing and poetry it was all online well done to the group with so much bad news it was great to see this online there was a lot of people really pushed the boat out yesterday for St Patrick's Day which was great somebody else though said that they were surprised last night uh, watching the news of President Michael D. Higgins didn't have any shamrock on his coat. Could he not get any? Then I saw Michael D. Higgins. I didn't notice that he wasn't uh, wearing uh, shamrock. I'll have to look back on that uh, again. Still getting in texts about Josepha Madigan. Ross says, all I can say to Minister Josepha Madigan is get a life. And somebody who doesn't want me to read out their name says, how over the top do we have to go with the gender issue and use use of the word man in things? Change the Corkman, the Kerryman, human race and places like Dunman way. Will that have to change to done person way? I feel this is one more incidence of OTT. Have people nothing else that they can put their efforts into? To get to gender equality, maybe people need to put some of this energy into learning tolerance across the board. Please don't call out my name, which is fine. We won't. If you want to remain anonymous, that is fine. And then someone else says with this whole thing of changing the getting rid of man in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit a woman a person 
That's from Pat, who is female in Kilmichael. Thank you for that, uh, Pat. Okay, scams. Uh, this is from Jackie. Say, hi, Patricia. Scam email from on post looking for a payment for pending delivery. The amount is two ninety nine. Is that a genuine scam or is that on post actually looking for a uh, payment? I'm not too sure by your text, uh, Jackie. And then on AstraZeneca, and we're still waiting on the news from AstraZeneca as to whether, we, when the, whether they will give the nod that countries can start uh, giving it out again. Sandy says, I wonder how quality control is administered by management in AstraZeneca factories and indeed other manufacturers as well. The vaccine production has been rushed in all factories to gain market hold once they are approved. The UK vaccine is manufactured in one factory and the export factory the export vaccine is produced in a different uh, factory says uh, Sandy well I'm I'm assuming quality control I don't even want to think about that but I'm assuming quality control is high across all of the factories but Sandy is a little bit worried about that about what is the level of quality control I can see some questions coming in for Jane our resident vet thank you for that keep those coming please because she'll be joining us in a couple of minutes when someone was asking why was Michael T Higgins not wearing shamrock on his jacket somebody said Michael T Higgins had a fine bowl of shamrock on the table so maybe he decided he was going to stand beside the bowl of shamrock rather than have it on his actual uh, jacket and we mentioned travel and people travelling into this country Someone was asking about where are we at with COVID passports? You know, once you get the vaccine, will we be getting a COVID passport? Well, the European Commission, they're proposing the introduction of coronavirus passes which will enable the 450 million residents across the EU to travel freely. Now, this will be across the 27-nation block and they're hoping to do this by summertime. Now, this is for people who will have had their vaccine. However, our own Taoiseach Micheál Martin has said that we here in Ireland will take a cautious approach to a vaccine passport. Micheál Martin said the development will give additional rights to some people over others and he's fearful that that would bring into question a range of civil liberties issue because obviously in this country the older generation will have their vaccines. Will you have the younger generation bucking and saying my civil rights are being abused because granny can go off to Spain but I can't because I can't get a vaccine passport. Micheál Martin said it would be quite unprecedented. He said it's a a debate that's about to really start in earnest at European level but it seems the EU has long been urged by tourism industry chiefs here to agree on some kind of a COVID passport because that would help to reopen travel. It would relaunch flights obviously, it would aid airports because airports right across Europe, not just here in Ireland, airports have been devastated right across the world by the Covid uh, crisis. Now the EU says what they're looking at is a digital green certificate. It'll cover documents from travellers who have been vaccinated, people who have not been vaccinated but have documents of a negative test result or it will also contain information for example for people who've recovered from uh, COVID and obviously children who test or rec- have recovery documents so they, it's this digital green cert. Now tourism experts say many thousands of Irish jobs are at risk if international tourism fails to reopen this summer. Pat Dawson who joined us earlier on in the week, he's head of the Irish Travel Agents Association and actually Pat Dawson was on advising people not to book 
foreign holidays at the moment when we still don't know where where we are at. He described this certificate as a big initiative because he said it's a coordinated effort by the EU countries and the EU will likely then be talking to the US to get people travelling across the Atlantic as well. But he says it's a plan that we could all work on because so many jobs depend on it here in Ireland and obviously the Irish Hotels Federation. They said the EU initiative offers the prospect of opening up the industry to welcome overseas visitors to Ireland again. Now the European Commission said the certificate, it will be in digital R paper format. It will include a QR code to ensure security and authenticity and to be ready before the summer the proposal will need swift adoption by the EU. It will be valid then in all EU member states and would also open up for Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway as well as Switzerland. So it's something that they're discussing it at the moment but I mean if it is to be up and running I think you know it would need very swift swift adoption because it would take a lot of work to get that ready and to get it operating in time for the summer. But as I say, Micheál Martin says, and obviously it'll be up to each individual EU country to agree whether they want to use this digital COVID passport or not. And Micheál Martin uh, saying that they would be, it would be cautious. We would take a cautious approach to a vaccine passport. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. We are looking for your pet questions, please, for Jane, our resident vet. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. 
Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me start straight away with some questions in and Alyssa is looking for advice. We are looking for a kitten as our cat died earlier this year. Does Jane know where does one go about finding a kitten? Because I'm finding it quite hard at the moment. Now, I don't know what area this listener is texting us from, but would you go to, would, would veterinary practices know if this kitten's available? Sometimes we do, but to be honest, it's not the surest bet. I think probably the best place to contact would be the ISPCA or any local charities in your area. Um, they they will have a lot of kittens knocking around sometimes, but sometimes not. I think they will be the safest place to contact. But also, I would maybe think, um, although you might want, let's say, a young kitten. I know they're very cute when they're very small. There are plenty of, let's say, older or even young adult cats or even older cats that might like a quiet life and a second shot at a, a nice home. So I wouldn't rule out having an older animal as well because I think that that's a really great thing to do. I think uh, it's it's the nature of the game that, let's say, puppies and kittens are always very easy to rehome because uh, there's a lot of people willing to take them on. But I think what gets forgotten sometimes is, is the slightly older pets. Mm. So if you think you might have a home for one of those, then that will be something to consider consider as well. So charities are definitely who I'd speak to. Are we into kitten season? We are. We're we getting are. there. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So yeah, it is the yeah. right time. Okay. All right, good um good luck with that. And could Jane clarify please, are pet groomers allowed to operate under level five? Now we mentioned this earlier because I know I checked like last year when I checked in with this on one of the other lockdowns with the ISPCA, they said on welfare issue groomers were allowed to operate. Yeah, I, I think most are operating under, let's say, the basis of grooming for welfare reasons. Um, so I know ourselves, we're, we're grooming patients that it will be impacting on their welfare or they have existing matting or let's say their coat for a health condition is making them very uncomfortable. Um, so I think it's just everybody's trying to be ethical and work ethically within the bounds of what we can do whilst keeping everybody safe. So speak to your local groomer or your local veterinary practice with a groomer um, and discuss what they're what they're doing at the moment to safeguard everybody in the situation and keep things as safe as possible. Um, I know if you do have concerns about, let's say, the welfare of your pet, a very heavy coat or a matting or anything like that, and then, then don't be afraid to, to speak to them. And I, I know everybody's trying to do their best in this situation. I think for us, it's, it's particularly frustrating because for us, we'd love to be able to groom every dog. But we can't because we need to keep people safe with coronavirus and we need to abide by abide by the restrictions like everybody else um, because we all have a duty of care. And I think just be really understanding understanding we understand for pet owners it's very frustrating the current situation if we can't groom a pet because they would like a, a shorter coat if it's a welfare issue that's a different kettle of fish but whether you're speaking to your your groomer or your veterinary practice just keep in mind that we always want to do the best we can for you and your pet but we have to abide by the restrictions too so please try and be as understanding as you can because i know from our point of view we certainly receive regular phone calls which Maybe the, the person on the other end of the line mightn't understand that we really do care and we're doing the best that we can. So I think everybody, if we can just be as understanding of everybody's situation, then I'm, I'm sure it'll it'll work out well. So it's on a case by case basis, really, isn't it? Case by case basis, absolutely. Yeah. So I think just speak to your better, your groomer, and they'll be able to let you know. Okay, I a listener says I have a red setter dog, thirteen years of age. Is it okay to give him a raw egg once a day? Uh, I was told it's bad for him. Is it a raw egg? 
Now, I don't know why she's I, giving I, a raw egg, but anyway. Yeah, that's what I'd be wondering as well. Um, I wouldn't really see that it would need to be an essential part of any any dog or cat's diet. I suppose like any other raw food similar to raw meat, you always run the risk of, similar to ourselves, if we were eating raw products, um, of, you know, the things that come along with uncooked eggs will be, you know, salmonella, compilobacter. Now, generally, those levels are very, very low in kind of the, or, or are absent in the eggs that we buy commercially, thankfully. But, you know, you run that risk with every every raw product that we have. So I think adding that unnecessarily into a cat or dog's diet is not something I would generally advise. If you have a concern regarding, let's say, their protein intake or vitamin minerals and you feel that there's something absent from their diet really the best person to speak to is your own primary vet um, or veterinary nurse that has an interest in nutrition because they'll be able to look at your dog's diet and, and check if it's appropriate for their lifestyle and their life stage so i would say unless you have a specific reason and, and it's under medical direction for you to give raw eggs it's not really something i'd be doing okay josephine in crosshaven has a little terrier four years of age doesn't seem to be eating or drinking as much this has been going on for the last few months good form but just doesn't seem to eat and drink as much as he did previously would there be any reason for that so the first yeah the first thing i'd be wondering about is is there a change in diet so if there's been a recent change in diet and and potentially let's say the food you're giving now if it's changed from what you were giving before is much bulkier and it's like ourselves eating a load of vegetables it's going to really fill us up whereas eating let's say um fish and chips is is, you know we're going to have to eat a lot more of that to fill ourselves up so sometimes it's just purely the bulk of the food or the type of food um if that's changed then then you might perceive that they're eating a little bit less and likewise with drinking our drinking is quite dependent actually on the amount of hydration that we get from food so for example a dog that's fed a dry kibble diet will probably drink more than a dog that's fed a wet food tinned diet because they're getting a little bit of their hydration from their food as well so food actually really impacts on things so the first thing i'd wonder is has anything changed in the diet that might be impacting our perception of how much our dog is eating and drinking but if nothing has really changed then a change is always something to be investigated if you can't find a root cause for it obviously so i think certainly my the top things i'd always worry about with a reduction in appetite would be like let's say any chronic disease but dental disease so toothache sometimes they might be less inclined to eat food or they might have food preferences and um, that would be our top one so i think if you're concerned that it is a change for your bet it certainly does sound like it and if nothing else has changed in their environment or in their management i.e the diet i would visit your vet just for a full annual health check get them checked over make sure that everything is fine and it may be that some diagnostic tests may be required or it may just be something simple that can be found on a physical exam. Um, but I think for reassurance for yourself, I think the best thing to do would be have a think about the diet. But if you're not certain, visit your vet for a checkup. OK, Bernie in, in a Shannon has a seven year old cat. The fur on his one ear and one side of his face is started to fall out. She can't figure out what's going on. Cat's in good form, eating well, cat's neutered, has had it spot on and it isn't over grooming, but it's just on one side, its ear and one side of its face, the hair thinning and falling out. Why would that be? Seven year old cat. I'd wonder if this little cat is potentially itching and scratching at that ear in private. Um, so sometimes they are, our animals are quite kind of private in the sense of some of them will itch openly with us around the house and they'll never stop scratching if they have itchy skin but some will kind of wait until night time or when you're not in the room and they'll have an itch or a scratch then when they feel a bit more comfortable in private if it's one side of the face and the ear i will be concerned that this little cat might have an earache or an ear itch 
because sometimes when pets try and itch their itch their ears with their back legs, sometimes they miss a little bit and they hit their cheek. So sometimes we see, let's say, balding of the cheek or even kind of trauma to the cheek from where they've been trying to scratch with their paws if they have an ear infection. I think this is definitely a pet that needs to be examined by a vet and have a look down its ears and just an examination of the areas where the hair is falling out. Certainly, they might need to do some further tests, whether that be little swabs of the ears to see if there's anything funky growing down there or even a little, a little, a little um, examination of the skin or skin cells under a microscope would be really helpful. So I think in this case, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd visit your vet about this one. OK, a caller who is due a baby in the summertime. Congratulations. How do we introduce the baby to a much loved pooch who has been cock of the walk in the house, a three year old Bichon freeze? How do we introduce dog and baby? With great care. First of all, congratulations and really, really well done for thinking about this now rather than later on. I think you have time to plan, which is, is really good. Very carefully is the answer um, and very slowly. I think just having, making sure, I think the number one thing is the little child safety once it arrives and making sure no matter how much you trust your dog, that that dog is never left alone or left, let's say, have have free access to the child so I would just make sure that you're always between the baby and the dog because you know as animals it just takes them a little while to understand some of them take to it like a duck to water and can be very very relaxed some of them you know it is a big adjustment particularly as as they have been like the king of the household for a little while but you know time is a, is a great is a great help in this but I think safety is paramount so a lot of the time, let's say, letting them see the baby very securely from a distance initially and then working up to a little bit closer. And then if they have free access around the house, just making sure that, let's say, you have the baby securely and they can toddle around. But I think really safety is paramount. You might need kind of more in-depth guidance on how to do this in your household from somebody who knows your dog better. So I think if, if my advice is not enough, I wouldn't hesitate to ring your own primary vet who might be familiar with your own dog's behaviour and how they might settle into the situation. So best of luck and congratulations. Okay and, you, and they can all work out absolutely and, and, yeah. and, and I know where you're coming from people get worried because you know the dog has almost been the baby of the household and suddenly a baby is, is coming along but it can all uh, work out and they can grow up together and it'll be gorgeous. Okay uh, and yeah. a final one. Hi Patricia, I have two small six year old dogs who eat stones. Every morning there are small heaps of stones in their house. One of them has a continuous problem with anal glands but she she's not scooting on her rear end. Could it mean anything else? Mm, um, well, the anal gland issue sounds like this is something that's been diagnosed before. I wouldn't say that, let's say, eating stones will be a, a symptom of that. A lot of the time, people wonder if, let's say, eating stones or things like that might be a, an indication of a, a deficiency in the diet or something like that. And to be honest, in this day and age, with most dogs, I'm kind of a complete diet that's really really rare um, and particularly if both of them are doing it a lot of the time it can be habit now it's it's a really awkward habit because it can really wear down their teeth a huge amount um, and can injure their teeth quite badly they can even have tooth fractures that are quite nasty but as well as that them in, t- in taking those stones the whole time if they're passing through and going out the other side then, then that's fine but you you know you always run the risk that one stone may not pass through the other side and you might end up with a foreign body you might have to have a, a surgery to rectify that 
I would really try and restrict their access to wherever these stones are coming from. If it's a gravelled area or something like that, really consider if they can be restricted or supervised when that in that area. Or I suppose the drastic option is if they're getting them from one specific place, consider maybe putting something else there instead of stones. I think really just for safety, safety grounds, it's a very difficult habit to break if they have free access. So just limit their access Sorry. to it because yeah. it can be a bit get, dangerous. Get the stones away from them. Okay. All right, Janice, have a good week. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Thank you for that. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And just very quickly on the gender issue and Josefa Madigan, this made me smile. I work in drainage. I mentioned about going down a manhole cover. I was told you can't call them that anymore. And I said, why? And they said, because women go down there now too. So instead, they're referred to as inspection chambers. Uh, That's where we leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for the final edition of Cork Today for this uh, week. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a good afternoon and uh, remember, stay safe. Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.